Well, it's Memorial Day weekend, so welcome to the Faithful Remnant. Um, good that you could make it. Actually, that's what it is out there. As Beth alerted us to this, this morning already, when you entered that door, you entered a different time zone. You entered the church's calendar, and it is Trinity Sunday. And if this were a college or seminary class, and you should be thankful that it is not, um, we would be dealing with heresies like adoptionism and modalism. We'd be talking about Arius and Athanasius and the Cappadocians. We'd be talking about how the doctrine of the Trinity grew out of the church's liturgy because she had to explain to the world when she got up off her knees and went outside to talk to her neighbors how she could still believe in one God and be worshiping Jesus Christ at the same time. She didn't want to be accused of idolatry, and she didn't want to be accused of worshiping many gods. But it took about three centuries for them to get that right into the Nicene Creed, which we'll be saying later this morning. And the doctrine of the Trinity was simply affirming that the story of Jesus is the story of God. Now, I'm thankful for those folks that um, got us to the Nicene Creed. Otherwise, I'd probably be worshiping with my dear Mormon friends this morning. Of course, that doesn't mean that we all get it right either. One time, um, when we were at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, one of the fellows, a friend of ours, Jack, he's in his 80s now, grew up a Presbyterian at Hollywood Pres, knew all that stuff, and said, when are you going to explain to us about the trilogy? So here we are. Well, I think the significance of this doctrine of the Trinity is summed up by a statement of a man named Donald Snyder, who wrote a short story that got made into one of my favorite movies, Sweetland. If you've never seen Sweetland, you need to, to find it and watch it. And here's the statement that Sweetland is based on. Let us hope that in this world, our lives are preceded by a love story. Let us hope that in this world, our lives are preceded by a love story. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in an eternal love relationship. They're not just dancing around like some people talk about them. They're so close that if you took one of them away, the other two would cease to exist. It's an eternal love relationship. And here's the amazing thing about the New Testament readings that we have heard this morning. Just like Nicodemus and just like Paul, we are invited into this love relationship. We are invited to live with the divine family. That's amazing. Jesus tells Nicodemus and Paul tells the Roman church that the Holy Spirit writes us in to the divine family's life. It's not something that, uh, you know, God just decided on a whim one day. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 1.4, he says, before the foundations of the world, God chose us. Before the foundations of the world, that love story preceded us. 
Our lives then aren't just preceded by a love story of three divine persons. They are preceded by a love story that included us. Because from eternity, from eternity, God chose not to be without humanity. That's amazing. From eternity, God chose not to be without us. Well, how did that happen? Well, John's gospel explained it this morning as Alan read it. John 1.8, the wind blows where it wishes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I mean, what we're going to say when we say what we believe in the Nicene Creed this morning, I hope you catch it, is not that we just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we also believe in the Lord Holy Spirit. The wind blows where it wants to. And if it wants to blow on you, you're in. And then Romans 8, 15 to 17, Paul says, we receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children of God, then heirs. I mean, the Lord Holy Spirit blows where he wants, and we are born into the divine family. Born into, adopted as children of God who live in community with a divine life. That's amazing. In the Roman text, Paul says that you know, we're no longer obligated anymore to live a life that is according to the flesh. Now, when he uses that word flesh, it's not the same thing as uh, the word body. And that's very important because God made us to be embodied creatures and there's nothing wrong with being embodied. He means something a little different by the word flesh here. And he explains it. He says it, it's a life enslaved by sin. The spirit, though, frees us. Sin makes slaves, and God makes children. That's what Paul is saying. We have to see the context, I think, though, to understand it better. In the context of Romans 7 and 8, Paul is saying that those who are living a life according to the flesh are trying to be, well, as he puts it, acceptable to God by living, by keeping the rules that they can't keep. The law condemns them, and so they live in fear. They live in fear because they fail to meet the obligations of God's law. We all know that. One of the reasons that the law was given to us was to show us that we just can't on our own meet God's demands. And so those folks live, he says, in a spirit of slavery, a spirit of fear, a life preoccupied with the sins that they are trying to not to commit, but will. I love it. In Romans 6, he says, we shouldn't sin. We're being baptized in the death of Christ, raised to life with him. And then he says in Romans 7, but I do. And so what do we do? He says, well, what we've got to do is know that we have been adopted into the divine family. And if you've been adopted into the divine family, then you know that you are no longer condemned because grace does what the law could not do. It frees us so that now the law is not a condition of our acceptance by God, but an expression of a life that is already assured of acceptance. I mean, let me explain it this way. All of a sudden, 
the shall nots in the Ten Commandments become shalls. In other words, the commandments become permissions to live the kind of life that's free. When the Ten Commandments say that you shouldn't, I should not steal, I've been given permission to share my stuff. When the commandment says that I should not kill, I've been given permission to protect life. When the commandment says I should not commit adultery, I've been permitted and given this joyous experience of keeping my covenant relationship with my spouse. The commandments all of a sudden become expressions of a life that's not lived in fear, but a life that is lived in knowing that I am accepted as a child of God. And so Paul says we're led by the Spirit. We're empowered. We're prompted. We're, we're persuaded by the Spirit to live like a member of the divine family. When uh, our kids were growing up, we were living in Wheaton. We, we, had, take, we had gone to Jerusalem with uh, some students and while we were there in the old city, we met a Palestinian Christian named Hannah Catanacho. Hannah's now the dean of Bethlehem Bible College. And Hannah was, he had already gotten his BA and he was trying to learn Greek on his own. And we said, why don't you come to Wheaton Graduate School and you can live with us for the time that you're there. And so Hannah took us up on the offer and he lived with us for a year. And one of the things that I did was our kids were being reared was I read to them every night. Um, it was somewhat selfish. I hadn't read the classics, so um, I read them to myself out loud, and they joined me in the living room. <laughs> and you know what Hannah started doing? He, he started coming into the living room and listening to, you know, Peter Pan and Tom Sawyer and all these classics. He hurried in. He didn't want to miss it. But he came, not because he had to, but because he now wanted to, because he had been embraced by a family that loved him. You see, God's love has been lavished on us so that we are called the children of God because the Father so loved the world that before he loved the world before it was created. He loved us before it was created, that he chose us in his son to be in that family. And that's why John tells us that God sent his eternally begotten son into the world so that we would not perish, but we would have life, we would flourish. And that's why Paul tells us that this God then send his, sent his spirit into our lives so that we cry out, Daddy, Father, just as we will do in a few minutes. When we pray together, our Father, who art in heaven. We've been given that privilege. Now, when Paul speaks of adoption, you've got to know this. In the Greco-Roman world, the culture that he lived in, the idea was that you were deliberately chosen by a father to perpetuate the family name and inherit the estate. In other words, you were treated as much as if you were a natural-born uh, son of that family. And that's why, by the way, Paul uses the word son. He means that all of us, um, sons and daughters, are adopted as children of God, but it was the son who inherited this, and he wants to make it clear that we inherit this. And so Paul says we are fellow heirs of Christ, but get this, we're heirs not just of the privileges, 
but also of the suffering. We take up our cross and we deny ourselves, just as Jesus did, in order to serve the world. You know, if I was Jesus, I don't think I would have used that as an altar call, but he always did. Come, follow me, pick up your cross. You'll lose just about everything in your life, including your life, and follow me. But that's the point. Because Paul is saying, look, don't lead a life that leads to death. Instead, embrace a death that leads to life. To follow Christ means that the only way to glory is through the cross. The only way to glory is through suffering, giving up of myself for the sake of the world, just as this divine family said from eternity, the Son will be sent to give of his life when he takes up our humanness for the sake of the world. It's an amazing thing. And so this morning, when we share in communion, we will receive the broken body of the crucified Christ, the crucified Son, whose death gives us life. And when we eat his body and we drink his blood, we participate in the life and the mission of the triune God because, get this, the Holy Spirit takes our frail, broken unworthiness and just as Travis led us in the song, lifts us up. In fact, that's what we're going to say at the beginning of the Eucharist as Beth leads us. We're going to say, let our hearts be lifted up. Lifted up to what? To the Son, who in his ascended humanity presents us with himself to the Father. There's a lot more going on at this table when we take communion than you and I can see. In some ways, our secular world has been disenchanted but we believe mm -mm, it's enchanted. You know, uh, one of my colleagues, Bobby Duke, he's our dean of the School of Theology at Azusa Pacific University. He's, he's a, uh, you, you, you turn him on, you know, you wind him up, turn him on, and he talks about foster children. That's all he does. Why? Because he's, uh, a, he promotes foster children, and they've had a couple of foster children in their house, the same ones for some time, and he just announced in an email blast about a week ago, hey, come celebrate with us today, because JC, who's been our foster daughter, is now been legally adopted. Legally adopted into our forever family. And so they're going to celebrate today. But that's what we're doing here, too. We are celebrating we're celebrating that we have been adopted and taken up by the Spirit into the Son's communion with the Father. Forever. Forever. And just as one person of the triune God cannot live without the other two, so we who are created to image this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit cannot live apart from each other without being in communion with that divine family and this family. And so, as we uh, prepare to come to the table a little bit later this morning, 
Let's just take some moments right now to think about this table. And as and when we lift up our hearts to the Lord to consider that God's spirit may be lifting each one of us, God's adopted children, into the Son's communion with the Father. Because you and I have been invited into a love story that began before the world was created. Amen.